four of our seven series, and it's a series of seven. Go figure that one. Uh, but uh, I've so thoroughly enjoyed this series so far. Part of the reason we're doing this series is because uh, uh, two weeks, last week, last week, two weeks ago, sorry, two weeks ago, we celebrated seven years as a church uh, in existence. And so uh, we were super excited that we reached that wonderful milestone. And so we've done this series, and we've been looking at different sevens in the Bible. So we looked at uh, when God created the world, there was seven days, and there was a seventh day, a day for rest. Uh, we looked at a guy called Jacob, who uh, had to work for seven years to marry the beautiful woman of his dreams and then he got tricked and had to work another seven years and uh, we showed through that even sometimes we have to go through a nightmare for our dream to be fulfilled and uh, then last week we talked about a guy called Joseph and how Joseph showed us that sometimes we need to be wise and when we are going through good times we need to prepare and be ready for when bad times come even if you can't see them coming because eventually sometimes in life bad times come well today we're going to look at another story in the Bible where the number seven is very significant. But have you ever noticed on the path to success, it is rarely a smooth path? If you have ever achieved anything in your life of significance, then it probably was not easy to achieve. If you are seeking out a life of significance right now, then you are probably finding that there are obstacles in the way that are trying to stop you or prevent you from reaching that life of significance. See, obstacles are never fun to navigate unless you are on like a moon bounce and it's like an obstacle course and then they're fun because, you know, they knock you over and stuff. But in real life, in real life, obstacles are never fun to navigate. In fact, they can cast a shadow over your progress. So if, if we were here 15 years ago and I asked you all, what, was your, what is your favorite movie of all time? The majority, there would be two choices that the majority of you would say. Some of you would say Gladiator, and uh, some of you would say Braveheart. And, and I want to speak to the Braveheart people th- this morning, uh, because I, even though it is all about Scotland overcoming England, and I am English, I appreciate the movie, I like the movie, I thought it was a good movie. Before Mel Gibson went all crazy and wacko on us, it was a good movie, uh, uh, but But this is the problem with that movie. It is all about a guy called William Wallace who was uh, in the movie presented as the savior of Scotland. And they made him out to be some huge hero. And if you like the movie Braveheart, I'm going to break your heart right now because William Wallace was not what the movie portrayed him to be. William Wallace was not this nice, wonderful hero. He was a savage warrior who was not a very nice man at all. In fact, he is not even the savior of Scotland. Yeah, he won some things and, uh, and, and he burned some villages and things like that, uh, but he was not the savior of Scotland. In the movie Braveheart, there was a guy called Robert the Bruce, uh, who the movie portrays as this weak political leader of Scotland who, who does anything to save Scotland. But in reality, history proves that Robert the Bruce was actually the savior of Scotland. He was the one who, who tried to liberate Scotland and bring free 
freedom to Scotland from England. And if you go around Scotland today and you mention the name Robert the Bruce, he is, uh, he, he, he is remembered with fondness because of, of the wonderful things he did. He galvanized an army who was much weaker than the English and he brought freedom to Scotland. That's what the history books say. However, in the middle of the fight of Scotland trying to find freedom from England and trying to be liberated from the tyranny of the English, Robert the Bruce was leading the armies of Scotland and they were getting defeated. They were getting crushed. They weren't as strong as the English. They weren't as skillful as the English. They weren't as powerful or well-funded as the English. They didn't have the training as the the English. And they went to a few battles and they got demolished. They lost so many lives. And the morale in Scotland had gone to an all-time low, so much so that Robert the Bruce decided to, to flee and run and go into hiding. And he found himself in a cave in the highlands of Scotland, not knowing what to do, whether to give up, whether to take his own life, whether just to, just to disappear and just let England just take over Scotland. And as he sits there in the cave, wanting to give up, wanting to, 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 to just end it all, he looks and he sees a little spider. And he sees a spider start to try to spin a web. Now, Scotland is not the best climate in the world. It's cold, it's windy, it rains a lot. And what Robert the Bruce started to see, started to see the the, the spider trying to spin a web, but the wind would blow and knock the spider down. But the spider would get up and start to spin a web again. And then the rain would come and it would wash away the web. And the spider would be knocked down, but the spider kept getting back up and up. And Robert the Bruce kept watching the spider get knocked down and get back up and start to spin a web. And Robert the Bruce was like, why doesn't the spider just give up? Well, eventually there was a moment where the wind and the rain did not blow as much. And the spider was able to get up and spin a web And the web became strong enough so that when the wind and the rain blew, it did not blow the spider away. It did not blow the web away because the web was now strong enough. And at that moment, Robert the Bruce realized it's not in giving up that we find our freedom. It is in keep going. And if we get knocked down, we get back up. And if the wind blows, we get back up. If the rain comes, then we get back up. Because there will come a moment when if we keep going, we will have enough enough time and enough space to be able to spin a strong enough web. So no matter what obstacles are thrown in life, we will be able to overcome. Robert the Bruce got out of that cave. He went back. He galvanized the armies of Scotland. And he brought them to wonderful victories. And he became the savior of Scotland's. He understood that if you want to change history, you don't give up. But you keep going that even though the road ahead seems impossible for Robert the Bruce, the freedom of Scotland was more important than his self-doubt. And when it comes to doing anything significant in your walk of faith with God, you will always encounter obstacles. The wind will always blow. The rain will always come. And sometimes what you are starting to do when you're starting to, to, to live this life of significance and spin a web of significance, it will be blown down. 
But there is a road to success. There is a way that if you keep going, you will find success. There is a lane to to significance. And this is where it's found. And what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about someone in the Bible who, who, who found significance, found success in his life. But what we're going to talk about today, if there is anything else that you hear, this is what the one thing I want you to take away today. And this is this. It is in obedience and not in skill that the path to your breakthrough is found. It is an obedience and not skill that the path to breakthrough is found. Now, one of the dreams in my life, one of the things on my bucket list that many people do not know, in fact, hardly anybody knows this dream, so I'm going to share this with you this morning. One of my dreams in life is to climb a mountain in Nepal. That's what I want to do. I want to climb one of the tallest mountains in the world. I want to get up there where it's cold and you can hardly breathe and you need oxygen. And I want to get on top of a mountain and I want to plant a British flag on top of a mountain. I would love to do that. I've dreamed of doing that since I was a young boy. I love to climb. I love to go trekking. I love to go hiking. And I would love to climb a big, almighty mountain in Nepal. But the reality, it's probably never going to happen. Because in order to climb a mountain in Nepal, you need a whole lot of training. You need a whole lot of money. You need a whole lot of sacrifice. And you need to spend weeks and months and even years preparing for it. Uh, And you need to to go through a, a regiment in order to be able to climb a mountain in Nepal. I would love to do it. But I'm just not willing to make the sacrifice. I'm not willing to spend the time. I'm not willing to spend the money. I'm not willing to do that just to go and plant a British flag on top of a mountain in Nepal. But I would love to do it. But this is what I know in life. And this is what I know about dreams. If you want to climb to the top, it means you're going to have to walk through some tough terrain. If you want to slay giants in life, it means you have to stand up to those who are bigger and stronger than you. If you want to walk into the promises of God for your life, then you have to be ready to face what seems impossible. And there's a man in the Bible, his name was Joshua. Joshua had just become the leader of a people group called Israel. These people, they had been walking around a desert for 40 years. They'd grown in number, some say up to a million people. And their leader who had led them for these 40 years was a man called Moses. And Moses had a promise from God that God would lead the people into a promised land. They called it a land that flowed with milk and honey. It was a beautiful land. Uh, Unlike the desert where they lived for 40 years, it was a place where they could grow and bring up their family and be blessed. But the reality is they live for 40 years believing in the promise of God and they never saw the promise of God and Moses had died never seen the breakthrough to the promised land and now Joshua had become the leader Moses was his leader it was his mentor but now as Moses had become leader This change in leadership brought a new day for God says, okay, now is the time. You guys are going to go into the promises of God. You're going to see your breakthrough. You're going to walk into the promised land. You are going to set up camp in the land that flows with milk and honey. 
God's promise for generations was about to be fulfilled. And God is starting to move upon the people. And Joshua, as the leader, is starting to see God moving. The people are feeling the freedom that comes with God's promises and God's blessings. They had just seen God do some amazing things. In fact, they had just watched God do the miracle of a century. They came up to a river because the wilderness was on one side. There was a river called the River Jordan. And on the other side, there was a land called the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. And this river was flowing. It was a big river and it was in flood season, which meant it was that the floods had spanned for miles. And there was about a million people that needed to cross this river. There was no way they were going to do it. There was no bridge. They had no materials to build a bridge. There was no way of building a tunnel. They didn't know what to do. They were going to have to wait until the floods ended to see if they could cross the river. But God said, no, today you're going to cross the river. And God performed this incredible miracle where he stopped the river from flowing. I don't know if you've ever seen a river, but I I don't think I've ever seen a river just suddenly stop flowing. The river stopped flowing, the ground dried up, and the people crossed over, and then the river flowed again. God had performed this incredible miracle. It was a miracle that they were going to tell their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. It was a miracle that everybody was going to talk about for generations. And they were seeing God move in amazing ways. The momentum was with us. They could feel the promises of God with us. And most of us would think, well, the hard days are over. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, and now the hard days are over. The good days are here. Uh, the, 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 the blessing is here. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be easy. The kids are going to be well behaved. The marriage is going to be bliss. The boss is not going to be angry, and we are going to be blessed people. It's going to be a good day. See, so often when we go through things, we think on the other side, there is just peace and blessing. But instead of just peaceful rest in the promised land, the Israelites, they came up against a city called the city of Jericho. Jericho was the most fortified city in the world at the time. It was undefeatable. Nobody had ever defeated Jericho. And we're not going to spend any time this morning talking about the actual city of Jericho. Actually, if you ever want to read up about the city of Jericho, it's fascinating. There's a great article in a website called answersingenesis.org. And if you type in on the, word, on the keyword search, if you type in walls of Jericho, you, you will find all this information about the walls of Jericho, about what archaeologists have discovered, and it's fascinating about it. But very quickly, for the purposes of this morning, this is what they came up against. They came up against a city that was on a hill. And at the top of the hill was all the most important buildings, all the most important people, the important houses. And at the top of the hill, around these houses, there was a wall that went round. It was a big wall. It was a thick wall. And, it, and all the people were inside. And that was like the, the main center of the city. And then outside those walls was where the majority of the normal folk lived. The peasants, like you and me, right? And, and so the normal folk lived around these. And then down at the bottom of the hill, or halfway down the hill, there was another wall that protected the normal folk. So there was two walls in Jericho. There was a top wall and a lower wall. And then anything out outside that bottom wall was outside the city of Jericho. It, it was a city that nobody had ever been, been able to defeat. 
And the Israelites, as they're walking through the promised land and walking in the promises of God, suddenly there is Jericho and they realize they cannot fulfill the promises of God. They cannot live in this land peacefully unless they take the city of Jericho. Because Jericho is the gatekeeper to the land of Canaan. And they realize nobody has ever taken this city before, but they have to take it in order for them to fulfill the promises of God. So we're going to pick up this story in the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 6. If not, the words will be on the screen. This is what it says, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. Now notice this what it says here. They go to Jericho and the walls are shut. The doors are shut. The gates to the city are shut. Nobody is allowed in or out of the city. The people of Jericho, they are ready for war. But the Bible says they're afraid. They're afraid of the Israelites. See, what we see immediately here is the Israelites have the upper hand. The people were afraid of them. They had heard that God was with them. They had heard of the story of how the Jordan River had stopped flowing. They had heard how how God had provided for these people and that there was a God who was a powerful God who was with them. On top of that, the Israelites were known as skilled warriors. They actually were skilled fighters. They were good fighters. In fact, their fighters were more skilled than the fighters of Jericho. They had already won the psychological battle. The people were afraid of them. Yes, Jericho was a giant. and It was a city that nobody had ever been able to capture before. But it wasn't as skillful as Israel. And the people were ready to slay a giant. Remember, that they've just seen God do an amazing thing. And they're like, okay, there's Jericho. We are taking you down, Jericho. We've got momentum with us. We've got the blessing of God with us. We are going to take you down. They were not afraid of this city. And so I can imagine they had these plans. The generals got together with Joshua and they're like, okay, this is how we're going to take the city. You know, if, if, if a flank of soldiers come around this way and another come around this way and then we ambush them and, and, and they devise this great military plan and this great strategy. I can imagine them all getting together and talking about how they were going to defeat the city of Jericho. However, God had different plans. God had different plans and their plan probably involved fighting and the skill of the warriors, but God's plan involved no fighting. In fact, God's plan involved no skill on behalf of the army of Israel altogether. So let's keep reading. Verse 3, it says this. God said to Joshua, he says, I'm going to give you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, all have, have all the people shout as loud as they can. 
then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can, can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave the orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. So think about this for the moment. You've got warriors, you've got armed men, you've got people who all their lives have trained to be in battle. They've trained to, to, to go against people like Jericho. They're ready to fight. They're ready to, 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 to get into battle. They're ready to lose their lives for the cause of Israel. But then God comes around and says, okay, what I want you to do, I want you to go for a walk. I want you on day one just to say nothing and just walk around the walls. Then go home and go to bed. Then on day two, I want you to get up. I want you to walk around the walls. Say nothing. Go home, go to bed. I want you to do this for six days. Then on the seventh day, when you are totally exhausted because you've been walking for the last six days, I want you to get up extra early and I want you to walk around the walls six times and say nothing. And then on the seventh time, I want you to walk around. The priests are going to blow the ram's horns and then we're going to let out a shout and that is how we are going to win the battle. Could you imagine what the people thought? They were trained to fight. But yet God was saying, I don't want you to fight. They were skillful, but God wasn't interested in their skill. God was interested in one thing, their obedience. Their obedience. Let's be honest, in the natural, walking does not win battles. Letting out a shout does not bring walls to a city down. But God was not interested in their fighting. God was not interested in their skill. He was not interested in their knowledge or their plans. God was interested in one thing, their obedience. And let me tell you, God is not impressed by our knowledge. God is not impressed by our jobs. He's not impressed by our careers. He's not impressed by our abilities. But it is quiet obedience that makes God stand up and pay attention. So God had told them to of this plan. Well, let's carry on and read and see what happened. Verse 8, it says this, after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once a day and everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests and behind with the horns and behind them, and the, behind the ark of the Lord. 
All this time, the priests were blowing the horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Then on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priest sounded the long blast of the horn, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Then verse 18 says this, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, for you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will have trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made of silver, gold, and bronze or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sounds of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed And the Israelites charged straight into the town, captured it. They completely destroyed everything with their swords. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats and donkeys. So they they, they followed the plan of the Lord and they saw a victory. We saw a victory that was probably more incredible than what they could ever imagine. They could have ever devised in their minds. They could have ever dreamed. It was a victory that showed that God was with them, that you did not need skill. You did not need sword. You did not need chariots or shields to be able to conquer cities. All you needed was God. It was a message to the world that God is more powerful than a sword, a shield, a horse, or a chariot. It was an incredible victory, but what we find, it was in obedience that the battle was won. And it is in obedience that the battle in your life and the victories in your life are won. And so just very quickly this morning, through this story, and through this act of obedience, of listening to what God had to say, this is what we know about obedience, and this is what we see about obedience. Number one. Obedience involves laying down your plans for God's plans. Obedience involves you laying down your plans for God's plans. Think about the generals and the military experts. They probably all had a plan. They saw Jericho and they started devising a plan. I'm sure even Joshua had a plan of how to conquer and defeat Jericho. See, naturally, we make plans in our lives. It's the way God has designed us. It's the way God has wired us. All of you, you have plans. You probably have plans about what you want to do today. Whether you you leave church and you go and get something to eat, or you leave church and you decide to watch football or or boycott football or whatever you want to do, you know? You've got plans whether you want to go and take an afternoon nap, or you've got plans if you want to put your little baby down to sleep. But those plans aren't always easy to follow. You've got plans when you wake up tomorrow morning, whether you go to work or you're going somewhere else or you're traveling. We make plans in life. All of us have plans. Our plans look at the natural. Our plans are often logical. Our plans kind of look at the statistics. And our plans look at what was done in the past. 
And if I was Joshua and I came up to Jericho, I would have thought, okay, what what's happened in the past? How did other people defeat great cities? I would have got all my generals together and, and thought, how can we defeat this city? And we would have devised a plan. And, and, and it, with the help of other people, it probably would have been a good plan. Because the reality is your plans are probably good plans. Our plans are often good plans. And with a bit of skill and knowledge, we can often fulfill our plans that we want for life. However... Serving God and living a life of faith, more often than not, means we have to surrender our commands to the great commander. Just before God had laid out the plans to Joshua, the night before, a man appeared to Joshua. Joshua said, who are you? He said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And in that moment, Joshua saw this man of significance, this man who had great experience of battles throughout the centuries. He had seen a man who was more knowledgeable than him, a man who who had a better strategy to him. And in that moment, it was a moment of significance for Joshua, for Joshua realized my plans are nothing compared to the Lord's plans. And when God speaks, you listen, for he has something to say. And what he says is normally the plan that leads to your breakthrough. And in serving this this Christian life and living this life of faith, we have to understand so often we have to lay down our demands and our commands to listen to the great commander. But this is so often what we don't do in life. See, God is speaking to so many of us, but we still pursue our plans. God has given us a roadmap to life through his words. But yet so often we're like, well, I'm not sure if that is the best course of action. So I'm going to go with my plans. But this is what I know. Obedience and not skill is the path to your breakthrough. And if you want to live a life of obedience, you have to understand that we have to surrender our plans to God's plans. The second thing that we see from this story is this. Obedience requires you to keep doing even if nothing is happening. Obedience requires you to keep doing even if nothing is happening. Could you imagine when Joshua said, okay, guys, I've got a new plan. This is the plan. Put the swords down. We're going to go to war with a bunch of priests and some ram horns. They're like, Joshua, you what? Like, have you lost your mind, Joshua? Like, this is crazy. No, no. We don't do nothing. We do something. We're fighters. We're soldiers. We fight. That's what we do. They must have had their doubts. And could you imagine on day one, if this was me, I would have been walking around muttering to myself, this is the dumbest plan I've ever had in my life. What is Joshua thinking? What can we do to get rid of Joshua? Who else out there has got an idea what we're doing? And I'm thinking, why are we doing this? I'm probably like covering my face because I feel ashamed. I hope nobody sees me. hope nobody puts this on Facebook. I hope nobody at all shoots an arrow or throws a sword because we can't do anything. That was day one. 
Now think about day two. Again, nothing is happening. Day three, nothing is happening. Day four, nothing is happening. Day five, nothing is happening. Day six, nothing is happening. By day seven, they must be going crazy. Now they have to walk around the walls six times saying nothing at all. These are skilled warriors. It's in their makeup to fight, to push ahead, to make something happen. Yet day after day, they are told to do the same thing and nothing is happening at all. I wonder what day you would have given up. I probably would have given up halfway through day one. But this is what I know. There's a difference between obedience and taking orders. Obedience requires consistency. Obedience isn't a one-time act. Obedience is a lifestyle. It is something we do for a lifetime. And God is looking for people he can trust. God is looking for people when he tells them to do something, they do it even if they do not see anything happening at all. This is what I know about obedience. Obedience is birthed through the winter months of life where you see nothing. All you see is deadness around. You don't see any life. You don't see any growth. So that in the spring season, it can bring the breakthrough. And I wonder today, I wonder if you are doubting God because you're not seeing anything happening. I'll be honest, my biggest challenge in my whole life in following God in obedience has been leading Generation Church. This is why, because I got plans for Generation Church. They're great plans. They're wonderful plans. And I think, well, we need to be doing this and this and this. And we need to do this, this and this, and then our plans will be fulfilled But so often God has said, no, Alex, that's not the way forward. That's not the plan. This is the plan. And it's often been in the seasons where nothing is happening that I felt God speak so clear. Because it's in obedience and not in skill, not in activity, not in knowledge that the path to our breakthrough is found. Is nothing happening in your life and you're doubting God? This is the moment to keep going. Finally today, and very quickly, obedience recognizes God's word is always the most powerful resource. Obedience recognizes God's word is always the most powerful resource. Did you know that God's word is always greater than anything you can attain, earn, or make? God's word is always the greatest resource. And God told them what to do, and he told them his plan. And and, and they could have just done their own thing, and they could have got their swords out, and they could have gone to fight. But the reality is, is that God's word to them and their obedience to God's word was the most powerful factor in this moment. For God's word is power. And it has the power to open doors nobody can ever open. It has the power to make the impossible possible. It has the power to bring down city walls without any human help at all. And people who walk in obedience know this. They know that God's word is power. And that God goes and fights for you. And God goes before you and fights. And people who walk in obedience know this. That the fighting that God does is done in the spiritual. And the victory in the spiritual is always greater than any victory in the physical. 
And what they were doing that day, all those seven days when they were walking around the city, they were doing nothing in the physical. And they kept walking around and I can imagine themselves thinking, what is going on? But the reality was there was a battle that was going on and they couldn't see, but it was in the spiritual. And any battle that is won in the spiritual always results in victory in the physical. And and what was going on that day, they could not penetrate Jericho until the battle in the spiritual was won. And it was through their obedience that they won that. After the people captured the city of Jericho, the people in the surrounding cities, they were terrified. For God was with them. The next city on their march through the land of Canaan was a city called Ai. Small, insignificant city. You know, I mean, it was like Jarrettsville to Bel Air, right? You know? I'm only kidding. Jarrettsville is a great place. But it was insignificant. And Joshua said, we need to defeat this city, but it's okay. We don't need to send everybody else. We got this. So they marched to the city of Ai. But remember what God said to the people in Jericho. They said, when you take the city, do not take anything out of the city. Everything must be completely destroyed except for the silver, the gold, the bronze, and the iron. They're sacred to God. But there was a guy called Achin. And Achin, he decided to take something from the city and hold it for himself. And because he disobeyed God, God said, I'm not going to go with you to Ai. So they went to the city of Ai and they did not realize that God was not with them. And they used their skill and their might. And do you know what happened? They lost. They lost a terrible victory, a, a terrible defeat. And people were, 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 had died and the, the, the army was, was destroyed. And it showed them that obedience is not for a moment. Obedience is for a lifetime. That it's in obedience when we walk with God that the path to our breakthrough is found. There was another guy called King Saul who found himself in a similar situation. He was going to war against the Philistines and God said, you've got to wait for Samuel to come. And when Samuel comes, then you can go to war. But Samuel didn't appear. And, and, and they were waiting around and they were getting impatient. They were like, Samuel, when are you going to come? And King Saul says, forget this, forget Samuel. Work has got to be done. The Philistines are there. We're going to go and defeat them. Bring me a lamb. I'm going to sacrifice it to God and we're going to go. And so he did that. They went to war and it was a terrible loss. And Samuel came and said, Saul, what did you do? He said, Saul, because of your rebellion, you have lost. God told you to wait, but you didn't. And Samuel said to him, Saul, obedience is always better than sacrifice. Both Joshua and Saul discovered there is only one guarantee to victory in life. And that is through obedience to God. Zechariah 4, 6 says this. It is not by force, it is not by strength, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. Whatever giants you're facing today, know this. The promise of God still remains. And if God has promised something, he will see it through. It is still sure and it still remains. But in this moment, he may be teaching you obedience, for it is in obedience and not skill that you will find the path to your breakthrough. So what plans right now do you need to lay down so you can follow God's plan? What do you need to keep doing in your life right now, even though it seems like nothing else is happening? 
What do you need to stop relying on so you can focus on the greatest resource that you have, which is God's word and God's promise? For it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the battle in the spiritual always starts with a moment and an act of obedience to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. That's why you're in this place today before we close. You may be facing a giant like Jericho right now in your life. You may be facing obstacles. You may be trying to live a life of significance or following the paths and the dreams that that you have just so longed for in your life, but you've hit wall after wall. And you feel that God is not there. Maybe you've been trying to do the same things that God has been saying. Maybe you've been reading your Bible and you've been praying and you've been, you've been volunteering. You've been coming to church. You've been trying to treat your spouse right. And you've been trying to lead your kids in the way of the Lord. But it just feels like a time and time and time again, nothing is happening. You've been faithful with your finances. You've been faithful to God in so many ways, but nothing is happening right now. But God is saying the promise still remains. Still keep walking in obedience. Maybe you're in this place today and you're trying to rely on your own strength. and You're trying to rely on your own skill and your own knowledge. And you don't realize that you have the greatest resource possible. And that is the Word of God. And so I'm going to pray. And then as I pray, we're going to close out this service just with one more quick song. And as we do that, let's sing it in victory, knowing that God is with us. God has gone before us. And the promises of God still remain. They are faithful.